Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we speak to higher education thought leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of this industry and pick their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, Evolution Editor-in-Chief and Illumination host Amr Alawalia is joined by Jeet Joshi, the Associate Vice President of International Education and Global Engagement and Dean of Continuing Education at California State University, Long Beach. The two discuss the continuing ed trends Joshi has seen in the last decade and whether a CE unit should be centralized or not. Well, Jeet, it, it's a pleasure having you on the Illumination podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. It's great to be with you. Uh, it's been a while, and uh, I look forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Well, I have, I have to think the last time I saw you was when you and Gary hosted an UPSIA West uh, conference at, uh, as a joint conference in what had to be 2019. <laughs> Somewhere around there. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. disturbing. Let's not think about that too I much. know. The last two years, <laughs> three years has been crazy time for all of us. So. Well, I mean, this is a, it's a, it's a perfect lead-in because you, you've had a, a really interesting career um, in the, the international education space and the continuing education space in one of the most fast-moving and, and malleable parts of the industry in, in, in Southern California. What are some of the trends that you've seen shape the continuing education space over the past decade? Well, certainly uh, continuing education is lead in many institutions in the uh, ever increasing online market. Uh, whether the online market is in the credit degree programs or non-credit professional development programs. Uh, continuing education units at universities, and certainly mine here, we've taken the lead in offering, developing, you know, working with faculty in those type of programs. So certainly the online space is something that um, continuing education, I mean, the whole trend in continuing education that I see is, uh, uh, is changing and evolving. And certainly uh, the reason for that is also the, the increasing number of adult population who are needing education and training. So, you know, mainly the some college, no degree population. Uh, the last report that I saw because of the pandemic, actually that, that group has grown quite significantly to almost 40 million, you know, yep. Americans. Uh, they have all kinds, they are at all different stages, so to speak. You know, some have 60 units, some have 80, some are close to graduation and some have actually more than, you know, 120 units that's needed mm -hmm. to graduate, but they never graduated. They never completed the degree from any one particular institution. So I think continuing education is, uh, you know, seeing that need to serve that, you know, population. And, you know, frankly, uh, speaking about my own, you know, state here and our own uh, local, uh, you know, uh, need, workforce need, the Public Policy Institute, um, which is based here in, in uh, California, has projected that by 2030, California will be short about 1.1 million baccalaureate degree holders in California, yeah. based on the workforce needs that they see. And we here at CSU, which is the largest, you know, baccalaureate degree granting institution in the state with almost half a million students in the state, 
I mean, in the system. And, you know, my campus alone is almost 40,000, you know, students. But then those would be more 18, 21 years old. But then, you know, our growth strategy, especially here in Long Beach, is how do we tap into this adult market? Those who really do need uh, the, the, the degree, whether to advance in their place or uh, really to just the desire to, you know, complete the degree. Because for the policymakers and even for presidents and chancellors, it doesn't matter how the degree is, you know, coming, whether it's through continuing ed programs or the regular, uh, you, know, you know, departments, as long as they are getting the degree and contributing to the local community, you know, that's, that's the ultimate goal. So, um, you know, that's another, you know, area that CE trends are shaping up. And certainly the, the need for the trained and skilled workforce uh, that is demanded by this, you know, evolving, uh, you know, industry sector and, you know, business, you know, circles. And, and CE, you know, really need to step in, you know, into that. You know, I would say, you know, in terms of the trained, you know, certainly the advancement in technology that enhanced the student learning experience has been tremendous. Mm-hmm. And we all need to adapt to that, you know, jump into it and then, uh, uh, you know, make whatever adjustment that's it's needed to be, you know, made so that we're serving uh, the, the student population that, you know, we have to serve out there. And, you know, another trend that I see increasing, you know, this may be regional, but certainly the industry business partnership with the university for research, for innovation, uh, for education and training. You know, all those, you know, combined, I see that as a growing trend, you know, as well for continuing ed. Absolutely. I, before we move on, I want to touch on one of the trends that you just mentioned there, which is the, the 39 million Americans with some college experience but no degree. The, I mean, our, the retention problem that we have is, is significant. Uh, overall, uh, approximately 25% of first-year students across the country don't return for a second year. At community colleges, that number increases to 41%. Uh, only 62% of students actually complete college within six years of enrolling. We're talking about a pretty significant persistence yeah. and completion problem. Um, when you think about the role continuing education can play, now, obviously, there's re-engagement strategies, there's the capacity to bring folks in who are partway toward a credential and, and help them towards their, their degree completion path. But how can continuing education work with the main campus to ensure that students, if they're considering dropping out, at least have a pathway to attainment through a non-degree credential or certification? Well, you know, one of the main reasons, I think, uh, in terms of the student retention is, you know, especially if we're talking about the, you know, when we're talking about the adult population, many of our uh, academic policies, you know, systems, regulations, those are based on the traditional 18, 21 year old students in mind, the college going, you know, population. Many of those rules and regulations don't fit into the adult, you know, population. You know, you know, any anything from academic requirements to, you know, mode of delivery to, you know, other things, support services. You know, our support services are open eight to five. Many of that adult population works during that time, and they need it. You know, after five o'clock. So 
you know, on my campus, what we're doing is we have a group right now and identify as, you know, looking at the administrative barriers, administrative and academic barriers to serve this, you know, particular population. Uh, because, you know, those are some of the reasons that they kind of say, you know, I, I don't have time for this, you know, I can continue with this or I cannot finish the degree. So we really need to take a look at that, you know, in many ways, you know, as, uh, you know, universities are uh, looked upon as, you know, liberal places, you know, responding to student needs and all that. But our policies are very conservative, very traditional, you know, really in many ways, you know, so many years old and we haven't, you know, made the change. And we are actually taking a look at that. And I think that will help, you know, this particular segment of student body to complete the degree. Uh, and, you know, as I talked about the online, and certainly the mode, mode of instruction is, is important for them. Even if it's in person, time of day is important for them. You know, why could we not have a weekend college type program so that they could come? You know, we do have one program that we run on Saturdays. Uh, things like that, you know, uh, continuing education operations are, you know, known for being nimble and, you know, responsive and, you know, uh, more flexible than a uh, traditional institution. So I think programs through CE would serve uh, much better, you know, for this population, in my view. So let me, let me ask you something then, because, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, it, it, there's there's an there's a tendency to innovate. There's a nimbleness. There's an agility to continuing education that's unique um, in in the post secondary space. And I think you see some institutions trying to adopt those characteristics in, into the way that the rest of campus operates. But it's it's certainly not happening at scale. At the same time, for continuing education units, there's this constant pursuit of connectivity with the main campus. There's this desire for everything to be interconnected. There's a desire for, this might be a stupid question. So forgive me if that's the case, mm -hmm. but if continuing education operates so effectively in its, call it bubble, mm -hmm. if, it op if it has the capacity to operate as, as almost its, its own standalone campus with its own support services with its own, you know, systems and, and its own sort of approach to student engagement. Why should continuing education leaders continue trying to operate almost with a as a as a as a fully interconnected part of a main campus when it operates so effectively as an isolated part of campus? Mm -hmm. It's a it's a very important question, Amrit. Uh, you know that that you know that that stigma that continuing education has. Um, I think it's a never-ending kind of conversation. But you know, there's there's some uh, strong reasons, valid reasons, uh, that you know we need to really do uh, connect with the institution. Uh, first of all. Every continuing education uh, operation is part of the larger institution. Uh, the institution's uh, uh, brand is the brand that everyone will, uh, you know, you know, market uh, with their programs, you know, uh, with with that name. Um, the the two is operationally, yes, you know, C operations are you know kind of a mini university within the university. 
all the support services are different. Accounting is different. You know, budgeting works, you know, differently. And especially here in California, in the CSU system, there's this, you know, line drawn from state-supported program to self-support programs. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that's not so, you know, as I know, you know, in some of the private institutions, it doesn't matter. Um, it's a private institution, but in a public university like mine, there is this line drawn and we have to have distinct, you know, services, distinct, you know, there, there are some, even the policies that are different, you know, because of that line. Um, but I would say that to, to be able to capitalize on the collective wisdom of the university, the faculty in particular, the faculty expertise, the department buy-in, and again, you know, going with this bigger institutional mission, uh, CE units do need to, uh, you know, collaborate and partner with academic departments, colleges, you know, other research centers and whatnot. Um, because without that, you can't, you can't simply go solo, you know, on these type of things. There are programs, particular programs that you would have to really develop and deliver. Uh, but collectively, you cannot, you cannot go solo on, uh, on your own without the institutional alignment and the buy-in. Because at the end of the day, you know, to the outside world, it's the university, not the, whether continuing ed or college of business or engineering or any other you know, entity. They kind of look at you know, us when we offer the program. Is, this is a Cal State Long Beach program. That, that's, that's, that's what it is. Got it. And that's, you know, it's such, it's such an important way of thinking about it because it's, there is this very frustrating misunderstanding that can occur between, you know, well, you know, is it, is it really, is it really, a, you know, if it's out of continuing education, how much rigor is behind it? You think, well, the individuals who are taking these programs don't have financial aid support to do it, but the, the impact of that program has to be immediate. It has to be observable for that student. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Finish your question. Well, that you know, I, I'm I'm curious because this is this is one of those things where you look at the and, and we'll we'll pivot in, into this conversation about centralized or decentralized models of continuing uh -huh. ed because I, I think it's it's a natural progression. Now, you know, with for so many institutions, there's there's continuing education that exists in pockets and different faculties. And every 10 years or so, there seems to be kind of this resurgence of the debate around whether continuing education should be centralized or decentralized. And you've kind of pointed out all, all the things that in order to do continuing education well, all the things that have to happen. So I, I think I have a clear sense of this, but where, where do you stand on that debate between centralization and decentralization of continuing ed? Um, you are right. I mean, it does keep coming back. Um, and uh, it, it's one of those conversations that we've had in UPSIA meetings and, you know, other, you know, professional, you know, networks. We continue to have that. You know, to me, there is really no one-size-fits-all model, you know, out there. The, whether it is centralized or decentralized is really uh, depends on the institution, the, the culture there, organizational structure. But more importantly, you know, it is also important to understand why is that debate? Why is that debate coming up? Uh, what is the motivating factor behind it? And I think we need to understand so that, you know, we could move forward with it. Um, 
the to me i think the best model is you know more like a programmatically decentralized but then operationally centralized model you know it's this kind of a mixed model when i say that is ce as a unit is operationally centralized so that not everyone out there is doing all kinds of things but then programmatically decentralized meaning what i mean by that is uh, that CE units would work with academic colleges, would work with the faculty, the department, you know, really capitalize on their expertise, bring it out there in the programs that you want to offer. Uh, because you do need the faculty expertise and, and the academic buy-in for the programs that CE units, you know, develops and offers. So programmatically, you, you work with all of the departments, all of the, depending on what depending on the discipline, you know, you go to the disciplinary experts. So in a way, it is decentralized. But then when that is done operationally, it is a centralized unit that is clearly outlining what is it that we're doing as an institution. Because, you know, if you, if you do it that way, you know, if you decentralize all the operations, then, you know, from an economies of scale point of view, you are really, uh, you know, uh, duplicating, you know, all the efforts, you know, that's out there. And you would have, you know, five different HR units, five different accounting units, marketing units, and whatnot. That is not the best approach to do it. And sometimes, you know, it, it's kind of competing with ourselves, you know, with each other. You know, on the international education sector, sometimes when it is so decentralized, I have been to uh, large conferences internationally, and then I have met uh, two colleagues from the same university, one from one college and the other from other college because they don't talk to each other. And they meet at the conference and I say, oh, I didn't know you were coming. I didn't know you were coming. And that's, that's, to me, is so inefficient way of doing things. So that's why I say I think it's a centrally it needs to be operational. Operationally, it needs to be centralized. And programmatically, because we, we, we so much need the faculty to uh, be engaged and involved in our programs, you know, programmatically, we need to be, you know, decentralized. Uh, but, you know, again, uh, it, it is... Uh, you know, really understanding why that debate, you know, so every so often in any institution comes up. What is the motivating factor? What are the reasons that this is coming up? Once you understand that, and then you can address the actual, you know, issue, you know, at that point. You know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because this is, this is that the model that we've been trying to highlight for for years through, through the evolution, through, mo through modern campus as well, is this idea of consolidated administration as being sort of this future state for where continuing education could be. Because at the end of the day, no one is better placed to, to understand the subject matter, to, to deliver that subject matter, to ensure the alignment of, of the learning material with the learner needs than faculty. But at the same time, let's be honest, running a million dollar business is challenging. <laughs> yes. um, and there are, there are experts at every institution who can run that business, who can ensure that students are, are receiving the experience and the engagement that they need to be successful. So why not shift to a model where faculties own the programming, but a centralized sort of operationally centralized continuing education unit can support the management of those offerings 
How do you get to that point? How do you create the relationships that are necessary to create that to 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 actually effectively operationalize that model? Well, I mean, continuing education programs by nature, in in many ways, not every single program, uh, but you know, most of the programs are very interdisciplinary. You know, continuing education as a field is a very interdisciplinary field. You do need to bring in faculty from the business to engineering, to liberal arts, to arts and, you know, whatnot. You know, you really need to be able to coalesce off, you know, you know, all of the people that you need for that. And, you know, in order to do that, you know, if there is a central entity who can coordinate that function, it works better, you know, in my view. Uh, and, and also it serves the, the outside community, uh, whether it's a students or you know, business or industry, so that there is a point of contact at the institution. If a company would have to contact in five different places at a university, forget it. You know, they're not going to do that. And, and CE unit is one of those that is so out there in the community, in the business and you know, all that. Uh, that could coordinate, facilitate, and bring it together so that the, everything that the institution has in terms of the expertise from all different disciplines yes. could be, you know, put together. But, you know, I understand institutional culture sometimes, you know, our education institutions are very turfy. You know, we, we kind of, you know, kind of, you know, protect our own, you know, area more strongly than, you know, the other area. And when, when that happens, I don't think we're serving our community, our students, you know, in a, in a better way. So that's why I think, you know, centrally located unit is important. That's what we have here. But then when, you know, programmatically needed, you know, you've always needed more than one faculty. You know, it's not, it's often the case that we go to multiple departments to get it done. Yeah. I mean, operationally speaking, is it a challenge to create that kind of environment? Where, where the faculties are coordinating and, and, and uh, engaging with continuing ed for the development of, of non-degree programming as opposed to just trying to do it themselves? Um, well, I mean, it depends on the institution. In some institutions, that's prohibited. You know, really that right. you can't be just doing, you know, things on your mm-hmm. own. Uh, if, it is, it is, if it is marketed as a university program, yeah, of course, faculty can go and do the consulting and things like that. You know, quite a few faculty do those things. Uh, but if it is uh, a program that is being offered through the university, just one individual can, you know, do that. And, and, and even if it's not monitored so closely, you know, I would say uh, they wouldn't be able to utilize all of the services that's needed. So, for example, if it's an online program, you know, you wouldn't be able to use the platform. You wouldn't be able to use the learning management system, you know, out there. So I think you do need a, a unit like continuing ed uh, for the faculty to come into. I mean, I have a perfect example. At one point, you know, about 10, 12 years ago, you know, we had uh, a self-support online division and a state support online division and different graphic, des- I mean, different instructional designers, different technicians, you know, everything was separate. And when it is time to, you know, for the faculty, when it is time to, you know, teach in one of the self-support programs, they would come to our online division and get the services from there. 
And when they are in the fall and spring and then, you know, teach on their regular, you know, assignment, they have to go to the other. They would much prefer to be working with the same instructional designer. They already know, they already are very familiar with, you know, how they work together and, you know, what the services are available. So we actually went ahead and merged those two so that, you know, throughout the year, all faculty gets the services from one unit. Absolutely. Well, Jeet, that pretty much does it on, on, on my end. Before I let you go, now, obviously, we know folks are starting to travel again. Folks are starting to get, uh, get out to conferences. Start. If someone was to land in Long Beach, what would be the restaurant they should go to? Ah, there are so many. Yeah. Uh, there are so many uh, around the, you know, uh, at the water towards the beach. Uh, there is... Um, uh, uh, the restaurant called. Are you talking about the names of the restaurants, or? Yeah, I mean, if if you have a recommendation, I, I think that would be uh, always appreciated by folks. Yeah, it depends on what they are looking for. Uh, there's a marina not far from the campus um, where there's a restaurant called Boathouse. Uh, it's a it's a slightly upscale, you know, great restaurant right on the bay. Uh, but if you know that that would be kind of a you know lunch dinner type you know situation. But if really people wanted to uh, get the flavor of the beach environment, right next to right next door to it is uh, the Ballast Point Brewery uh, that has a phenomenal view uh, right on the water. You feel like you are on a boat when you go out and actually on their second floor and <laughs> to the end of it. Uh, they're great restaurants. So those are just a quick thing that comes to my mind because I happen to go there and it's it's close by. But downtown Long Beach has wonderful restaurants, you know, as well. The main drag on the downtown is Pine Avenue. And that okay. has so many, you know, restaurants right there. Awesome. Well, yeah. Jeep, we so appreciate you taking the time out again to join join today's podcast. I, I, I it's, it's great catching up as well. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Amrit, for having me and uh, great chatting with you today. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, Modern Campus supports every corner of the modern institution, from continuing and workforce education, to student affairs, to the registrar's office, to marketing and IT. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of the modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.